are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hi, everybody. David Guzik here. So pleased that you could join me for this Thursday live question and answer. And let me tell you how pleased I am just to be back doing the live Q&A. I don't know if you know, but it's been seven weeks, seven weeks since I did the last live Q&A. And the main reason for that is just because I've been traveling a lot in the last couple of months. Here's where I've been in the last seven weeks, because I just took out my calendar and saw where I've been since September 5th. That was the last time I did a live Q&A. Here we go. Since September 5th, I've been to Florida, Finland, Sweden, Seattle, New Jersey, Athens, a bunch of Greek islands, to Israel, to Italy, and to Newport News, Virginia, most recently this last weekend. So uh, very pleased to be back, very pleased to be a part of what we're doing here with the Enduring Word uh, question and answer. And uh, I'm just happy to be back for another time. Here's how it works. If there's anybody out there, because uh, you know how this works, I just wonder if uh, if we have any viewers after me being gone so long on the live ones. Now, when I'm not able to be here for a live one, I like to pre-record one and issue it at the same time, 12 noon Pacific time here on Thursdays. That's what I normally do, but I'm not always able to do that, but I'm happy to be back live with you. So this is how you do it. Hey, Ruth, glad you can be watching from that doctor's office. Blessings to you, Ruth. Anyway, uh, here's the idea. This is that you type in questions in the side chat window, and I will respond to them the best I can. I don't for a moment pretend that I have every answer to every question. Uh, I don't think that anybody has every answer to every question except for God himself. Uh, But we do the best that we can, and sometimes we can be helpful to one another. So I like to begin each question and answer time with sort of a... uh, lead-off question that usually comes in through social media or comment on a YouTube video. By the way, you can feel free to send your questions by the comments to these videos and other videos on the YouTube channel. Myself and our admin director, uh, Andrea Kolsch, we go through and we collect those questions, and when we can get to them, we do. So here's a question that came in uh, as a response. It's from Julius, and this is Julius's question. He says, I got a question, and I think you are the right person to ask. I don't know completely about that, Julius, but I'll try. My question is, is tithing a law to Christians? Is tithing a law to Christians? Well, Julius, let me say, first and foremost, I think you're asking a great question, and I think this is a question question that a lot of people have uh, different opinions about in the uh, community of Christians. So uh, I'm going to give you my perspective on this, and I, I trust, I hope that my perspective is biblically informed. So let me just kind of give you an overview, and then we'll talk about it. First of all, are Christians required to tithe? Now, maybe I should begin by just simply clarifying what tithing is. Tithing is giving 10%. Sometimes Christians get a little sloppy in their terminology, and that's okay, because usually we know what we're talking about. But they use the word tithing to refer to giving in general. But strictly speaking, tithing is giving unto God 
but it's giving a specific amount, a tenth, a tithe. A tithe comes from the word for tenth. So uh, we're talking about the giving of 10%. And let me just say forward, straightforwardly, the New Testament, in my opinion, does not command tithing. That is the giving of 10%. Now, I do believe that the New Testament does not despise the tithe. Matter of fact, it presents the tithe as a pattern, and not only as part of the Old Testament law. It's fascinating in the book of Hebrews, where tithing is discussed in regard to Melchizedek, how with great approval, the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, points out that Abraham gave a tithe of all to Melchizedek. Now, this predated the law. So the New Testament makes it plain that the tithe is not chained to the law. It's a principle which is, in fact, bigger than the law. Now, I have to say honestly, though, I don't see where the New Testament commands the tithe. It does say that Christians ought to be givers, that giving is part of our Christian obedience. And there's many different passages I could teach from this one. Excuse me while I take a drink here. There's many different passages I could teach that principle from. Let me just read you two verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We read this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. I think that those two verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 give us a wealth of information about the New Testament idea of giving. Let me read them to you just one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Okay, this is what I want you to notice. This. Number one, giving is commanded for the Christian. It's not an option. Paul instructed the Corinthian church, he says, as I have given orders, so you must also do. Also in verse two, he directed the command to give this way. He said, let each one of you lay something aside. So in other words, who was supposed to give in the early church? Each one. Through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul tells the people of God that God wants all his peoples to be givers. Every Christian should be a giver because God is a giver. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So every Christian is to be a giver, and that's not an option. It's a commandment. Number two, giving is supposed to be regular. Regarding that collection in Corinth that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul said that it should be done every week. He says this in verse 2, on the first day of the week. Paul wanted the giving of the believers in Corinth to be systematic, not to be haphazard. When they came together for worship and the word, they were commanded to receive an offering. Now, there's a few other places in the New Testament that I'm not going to get into right now. 
that give us the principle that we should give materially to ministries that benefit us spiritually. The community of Christ that you belong to, the church you attend, it benefits you spiritually. You should give unto it materially. And I I think that many of the people who support the work of Enduring Word, that's the Bible commentary and Bible resources that I make available for free over the internet. I think a lot of people do it based on that principle. They receive something from it spiritually, so they're happy to return something materially. Now, uh, just a couple more points about giving. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, that giving is to be planned. This is what he says in verse 2. Lay something aside, storing up. The idea was that you were supposed to come to church with your gift already prepared. This means that you should seek God about your gift at home, prepare it at home, and give it when you come to the church or wherever. This makes someone seek the Lord more in their giving, and it also helps to resist any manipulation to give. Let me just give a couple more here. Uh, Number four, I would say that giving is to be proportional. Paul wrote that each one should give as he may prosper. That's in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16. That believes simply, that teaches simply, that believers who have more should give more. We should give proportionately. In other words, if you give $10 a week, a week when you make $100 a week, when you start to make $200 a week, you should give more. Our giving should be proportional. And then finally, I'll just say this, and I could say a lot more, but let me just say, that giving should never be manipulated. Paul expressed this in those two verses to the Corinthians when he said this, that there be no collections when I come. That's in verse two. That meant that Paul did not want to manipulate anyone. He wanted their giving to be from the heart. And as the heart hears from God, it should give, not in response to a high-pressure fundraiser. So let me just express it to you this way. Are Christians required to tithe? No, but we are required to give, and our giving is required to be proportional. Now, a tithe is just a proportion, 10%. Let me just ask you, what proportion would you choose? What proportion would you elect? And sometimes people who are on a very, very tight budget, they want to start giving, but they don't know how. The idea of giving 10% terrifies them. I say, let's try it this way. Once you start off by giving God 2% off the top and ask him to bless it, and then see what God does as you begin to obey him biblically. The New Testament doesn't command the tithe, but it does command proportional giving. And I would just say this, what proportion would you choose? I think it's fascinating. I read somewhere that early Christian writers used to say something like this. We're not under the tithe. We can give more. Isn't that a marvelous train of thought? Because let me tell you something. For some people, giving only 10% would be unfaithful to God. God has so blessed you, and you shouldn't feel guilty about the way God has blessed you. You should just endeavor to use it wisely and powerfully for the kingdom of God. So, uh, Julius, I hope that's helpful for you. There's a lot more that I can say about the subject of giving. I think it's very uh, practical, but I would just come back to this and say simply that no, the tithe is not required, but it is presented to us as a pattern. And personally, and I'm just speaking personally, I don't see that we should give less under the new covenant 
than God asked his people to give under the old covenant. All right, let me uh, get started on some questions that are in the side uh, barrier here. Ruth Gordon asks, hi, Ruth. I have a question. Are women today permitted to teach a Bible study where there are men and women participants? I don't believe so, but correct me if I'm wrong. Ruth, this is a great question, and it's something uh, that, you know, kind of on social media, whatever platform, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, people are talking a lot about lately because some high-profile people uh, have kind of waded into the discussion. And I would just simply say this, Ruth, as far as it reflects any demonstration of teaching authority and pastoral authority, no, no, uh, women should not be uh, teachers in that congregational sense. Um, now, I, I suppose somebody could dream up a scenario that might not fit that exact picture. In other words, it's just some people sitting around in a Starbucks with their Bibles open and they share together. And is it okay for the woman to share some? Well, of course, in that kind of setting. Uh, but but as you've kind of described it, I, I would say, Ruth, no, no. Um, now, this is a matter of big controversy in the church today, and I could say a big divide in the church. They put titles to these different ideas. The complementarian group is the ones who believe that God has assigned different roles for men and women in the church and in the home. The egalitarians would be those who would argue that there's absolutely no distinction between the kind of role that God would assign between men and women in the church. I, I want you to know that I I've done deep study on this myself. I've tried to honestly and in a very forthright way consider the arguments of things that I might not uh, think of or that I haven't believed in the past. And I could say that the arguments I have read for the egalitarian position, the idea that there should be no distinction between men and women and the roles they play in the church or in the home, I have weighed them and found them lacking. I don't think they're persuasive. Now, I don't think they're crazy. I don't think somebody is crazy for believing an egalitarian position, even though I do believe that the Bible teaches the idea of the complementarian position, that there are different roles for men and women in the church. And I just want you to know, I don't regard a woman preacher, a woman pastor as my enemy. I don't regard her as an enemy, but but I don't think she's helping the cause of Christ in the big picture. Now, there's some exceptions to this that I would point out. Uh, there's some exceptions based on expressions of teaching that aren't really expressions of authority. There's also some exceptions on when there's absolutely no other option than for a woman to teach then I think the thing to do is to take where you're at and work towards the ideal. But um, basically, Ruth, I would say, no, you're, you're right in saying that God has assigned different roles for men and women in the home and in the church. And I think that's something for us to recognize and to observe. Okay. Uh, Joanne says, so good to be here. Yeah, Joanne, isn't it great to be back? Um, Levy says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Levy, I love preaching on that verse because, first of all, it's a beatitude. Jesus tells us how to be blessed. But it's not in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the letters of Paul. Actually, in, in the words of Paul, uh, I believe in the book of Acts, where he said, 
It's more blessed to give than to receive. And we all want to be blessed, don't we? Well, how do you be more blessed? It's to be a giver. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Janos, hey, Janos, it's great to hear from you. My question is, is there a hierarchy in the Trinity? Uh, okay, Janos, that's a great question. And let me repeat his question just so we understand. Is there a hierarchy in the Trinity? So we understand that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the question is, are those arranged in a hierarchical manner? In other words, there's first, second, third, or first, and then two. Is there any kind of established hierarchy in the Trinity? Now, Janos, I got to say, this is an interesting subject that I'm going to be very honest with all of our listeners. I am not as well read on this particular area of theology as I would like. So I'm going to give you my best answer but I reserve the right to change my answer based on further study. Here's how I would answer that question, Janos. There is a functional hierarchy. Some people call this an economic hierarchy, and they don't mean economic having to do with money. They just mean having to do with function and how things operate. So operationally, there is a hierarchy. The father sends forth the son. Um, there's been a big debate in Christian theology, whether the Holy Spirit is sent out from the Father or for the Father and the Son, but in some way the Holy Spirit is sent. In some way, there is a functional or operational hierarchy. But many people have thought it very important to stress that there is not an intrinsic hierarchy. The Father is not intrinsically greater than the Son. And when I say intrinsically, I mean in his substance, in what he is, in just in 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 uh, his material, so to speak, or in his being, I guess that would be the better way to say it. So there is a functional or operational hierarchy, which isn't necessarily eternal and may not last forever. I mean, those are things that can be discussed, but there is not a intrinsic, there is not a hierarchy of being. They are each equally God. So again, Janos, that's the best way that I would answer that. Janos is a friend of mine who pastors a church in Hamburg, Germany. Janos, I'm so looking forward to coming and visiting you guys for a couple of days next month. Uh, Christopher writes this question. Hi, David. In your commentary, how can I get the full names of the commentators you quote, like Clark, Spurgeon, etc.? Thank you for your excellent work. Christopher, <clears throat> we're still working on this, but you will find most of that. I didn't say all, but I said most. You'll find most of that on the Enduring Word website. Click on the menu category about, and you'll see under the about menu category that we have bibliography. You can match the book of the Bible to the one you're looking at with the commentary, and it has a fuller lister of, listing of those sources. Uh, we're trying to make it complete. Um, if there's one that you have a question about, you can send us an email and we'll try to dig that up for you. But most books of the Bible, we have current there on the website. And you can look for the bibliographies on the about section on the EnduringWord.com website, which just gives me an opportunity to say, look, I'm grateful for our YouTube uh, viewers, our YouTube family. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back doing a live Q&A. And I believe I'll be back here next Thursday doing another one. 
But I, I do want to say that um, uh, the greater reach that I have in ministry is through the free online Bible commentary that people get either at EnduringWord.com or the Blue Letter Bible. There's lots of people who use my Bible commentary on a wonderful Bible website resource called the Blue Letter Bible. So you'll find all kinds of Bible commentary and resources there. Okay, let me go on here. Uh, Gunnel says, good to hear you listening from Sweden. That's wonderful, Gunnel. Nice to hear from you. Joanne says, why is BCE before common era being used in some Christian schools instead of BC? Okay, uh, what Joanne's referring to is the way that we normally mark time in the past is BC before Christ and AD, <clears throat> which actually stands for Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Uh, in other words, supposedly the year that Jesus was born, which seems like it wasn't the exact year that Jesus was born, but it was the best people could guess at the time. So we have BC and AD. Now, Many, if not most, secular scholars don't like that because they think it implies something religiously. And if I could say, I kind of understand why they would think that, because if you say in the year of our Lord, you're kind of calling Jesus Lord, Anno Domini. So what they do is they say BCE, before common era, or ACE, after common era. And that, that's kind of the, the idea there. Well, um, I don't know why a Christian school would use it unless they just want to match the way that secular universities or uh, academic people are dealing with that distinction. Uh, I prefer BC and AD myself, and I would recommend that Christians do it. What a delightful thing for us to declare uh, in the year of our Lord, AD, Anno Domini. Now, I, I would just say, too, that even if they want to get around naming Christ before Common Era, after Common Era, it still is absolutely remarkable that they can't get away from the pivotal position that Jesus Christ has held in history. Make no mistake about it, friends. Jesus Christ is the most important, compelling figure who has ever walked this earth. There isn't a near competitor. Great men and great women have come and gone through the centuries and probably will continue to come and go. But Jesus Christ remains the most compelling figure of all humanity. It's only right that we mark history itself from before his coming and at his coming. All right, next, uh, Lucia says, I'm here. Sorry, I'm late. Don't worry about it, Lucia. Uh, Agnes says, hi, Pastor David. What is the correct translation of Genesis 1 when it says that the earth was void or the earth became void? Some people say it became void because of the fall of Lucifer. Agnes, you're referring to something called the gap theory, which basically says that in Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the earth was void, uh, dark. You know what? I'm going to turn back to Genesis here, because I want to get the exact wording there of that phrase, at least the exact wording in the New King James Bible, which is predominantly the Bible that I use. We read here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form 
and void and darkness was on the face of the earth. It is said that it is possible to translate that verb was without form to translate it as became without form. And the idea was that Satan, Lucifer, some powers of darkness were contesting God's work of creation. And in their contesting of it, the world became without form and void. And, and this ushered in a gap in the biblical record, uh, basically between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, Agnes, I would say I don't really buy into the gap theory. From my studies, I can't say 100% no, it's absolutely wrong. There's no way that it could be right. But I think the evidence is against it. Most notably, from what I read, the most natural reading of Genesis 1-2 is not that it became without form and void, but that it was without form and void. So we, we can't just kind of run off to a preferred reading of a text. Uh, rather, we should stick with usually, there, there's times where there's exceptions, the most plain and accessible meaning of a text. Thanks for the question, Agnes. Joanne says, I wanted you to know that the Bible study video has greatly increased the flow of my understanding in reading God's word. Truly a blessing. Hey, that's great. Um, what Joanne's talking about is we did a three-part series on how to study the Bible. Look for that on the YouTube channel. I think it might be helpful for a few folks. It was to Joanne. I'm happy to hear it. Uh, Janos says, thanks. Sorry for the big topic. Hey, Janos, don't worry about it. Um, we love the big topics here, so I'm not afraid to speak on them. I just want to be reserved when I don't know as much about a topic as, uh, as I would like to. And uh, give my best to Anya and the kids. Uh, Kelly says, so appreciate your teaching. You're my number one go-to commentary on Blue Letter Bible. Kelly, I'm happy to hear that. Now, listen, Blue Letter Bible has a lot of great Bible resources. I mean, a lot of them. And uh, my Bible commentary is one of many, but Greek, Hebrew, bunch of different commentators, bunch of different word searches and resources. Blue Letter Bible, you can find it at blb.org or just simply search for Blue Letter Bible. Uh, Lucia says, did somebody ask David Ruff MacArthur more issue? Lucia, not directly, and I don't want to get into that right now directly, but in principle, Ruth asked the question about women preaching uh, and teaching. Uh, Jim from Calvary Arlington says, David, are there any plans to link your audio and even this YouTube channel in the app? Uh, Jim, it's in development. I have to say, I think we made a good furthering in development. The iPhone's new iOS, I think it was version 13, uh, we had to make some changes in our app code. I'm glad we did, but those things are under constant development. It would be great to be able to add the audio and the video for that as well. And then um, Levy says, can you know if it's God's will to heal? Levy, I'm going to make that our last question for the day because it's a great question. And maybe I'll deal with that question in greater depth another time. But to simply say, can you know if it's God's will to heal? I would say, Levy, my experience is rarely can you know that. Now, I believe sometimes God gives the gift of faith and assurance of faith to his people saying, I am going to heal. Be confident in me. Trust in me. You can know that I am going to heal. There are times when God does that. But I think those are the exceptions, not the rule. Basically, we pray. 
we commit things to God. We pray in faith, knowing that he is a loving, powerful, that he's the great physician, that he's the God who heals. And then we leave it up to God's will and to God's working. Here's the thing I love to always point out, is that absolute, total healing is promised for every believer. Uh, We call it the resurrection. Our problem is when we want every benefit of the resurrection and of the full expression of our salvation, when we want that right here, right now. Um, I am going to close it off there for today, except for Jim's question from Calvary Arlington, where he says, is the statement that Jesus was born again heretical? Jim, that's a great question, and maybe I'll deal with that in greater depth, make that a lead-off question uh, for another video. But let me just say, you want to know, is the statement that Jesus was born again heretical? The answer to that is yes. Yes, it's heretical. Jesus was not born again. Um, And the idea of the born-again Jesus is a strange twisting of Scripture that has a lot of other errors associated with it. So uh, that's going to be it for our question and answer time today. Thank you. I'm so pleased that any of you showed up today because it's been seven weeks since I was here on a live Q&A. As I look forward to my calendar in the coming months, I'm going to be able to be here live on a lot more Thursday afternoons, and I'm very, very happy about that. So join us on Thursday afternoons whether it's a live or a pre-recorded question and answer time, and and check out the resources on our YouTube channel. Always remember to subscribe, to like, to do whatever it is you need to do along those lines. Uh, but I do just want to say again, thank you. Thank you so much to the people who pray for and support the work of Enduring Word. God is doing some thrilling things in the reach and in the translation of our Bible commentary. It's thrilling, and I'll talk more about that later. God bless you. Thanks for joining me today, and we'll see you again next Thursday for another live question and answer time. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.